Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. And today we have a guest that we've had on multiple times before. Kevin Goldberg is going to be on. For anybody that doesn't know or they want to know more about Kevin, check out episodes 27 and 77. Kevin, uh, he's, I don't call him like a nomad. He's kind of all over the place. He'll be in Canada. He'll be over in the East Coast. He'll be in the Midwest, South. He's kind of pretty much willing to chase muskies anywhere and everywhere he can. And tonight we're going to we're gonna talk trolling. I feel bad because I we kind of push him into this little box there, Brad, and we kind of make him be our, like, you know, say trolling guru. But the dude catches a lot of muskies casting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin's so well-rounded. Um, you know, him being from a little bit closer to the east side, there's a lot of trolling out east, and, and he fits that equation. It's not just trolling with him. I mean, he's done it all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the, in he's everywhere. Like I said, I mean, he'll he's chasing bites around all over the place. So it's uh, definitely pretty cool. It's it's great that he comes on because I mean, he he doesn't have anything to push. He's not he's not pushing a guide service. He's not pushing a bait. He's not doing anything. Like he's literally doing it because a lo- we'll say love of the game, his passion. I mean, whatever however phrase you want to use it. He just loves muskies. He loves talking muskies, and he's great at doing it. Yeah, that, that's so true. And I think, you know, that's part of the equation when it comes to any muskie angler. We just all love it, that's for sure. And he's no different, and it's really cool to have him on. And he pretty much, you know, he unravels everything. He'll open up and tell us anything we want to know. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, there's, I don't want to say there's very few guides, but there's a bunch because they still, I mean, and I, and rightfully so, I understand we get a bunch of guides on our show and they don't want to give away everything because literally they make money on the water showing people how to catch muskies. So they come on, they kind of give you a, a, you know, a few pointers, they help you out a little bit, but ultimately, you know, I mean, without them, our show wouldn't, wouldn't be what it is, but I also understand that, you know, they don't want to give away the farm. It's like me as an electrician. If somebody calls me and says, hey, I'm curious about this, I'll maybe kind of point them in the right direction. But ultimately, I can make my living (laughs) wiring things, and I would prefer to go do the work for them, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I get the whole gig. But in the same token, uh, (laughs) I want to give back to the whole Muskie community as well as, as what they've given to me, you know? So it's part of that part, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brad... It's been only a couple days since we podcast. I don't really have that much to add to this conversation as far as, you know, chit-chat and and, uh, housekeeping items. I will say, as per usual, if you like our podcast, please consider supporting our two businesses. Mine is Team Rhino Outdoors. You can check out our company at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. If you're looking for gear for your musky fishing, whether it be fall or wherever you are at right now, summer, we're still in summer, you know, blade season, top water season, everything shallow season's coming up for a lot of people in the Midwest. And if you're looking to gear up, please consider checking out our website. We have pretty much everything you're looking for for that type of season. And for fall, we're working on, you know, gearing up even more for fall as far as, you know, we've been working on getting as much stuff as we can all season long and we're, we're, nothing's changed. We're, we haven't let off the gas there. Uh, new colors of a few different baits have hit the website recently. I know I put up a new color detonator. New stuff from Slammer Tackle just arrived recently. So, um, you know, restocked on Red October Tubes. Just lots of stuff. We do have a YouTube channel you can check out if you want. Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We have all that stuff. So if you want to keep up to date on all things Team Rhino Outdoors, 
please consider checking out those various items. And then Brad needs to talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and then we'll shorten it up, and we'll go right to our conversation with Kevin Goldberg. Pretty much the same thing as last week. If you didn't hear last week, so you can definitely check out Muskie Mayhem Tackle just by going to our website, muskymayhemtackle.com, or you can uh, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Love to hear from you. If you've caught something big on some of our product lately, share a picture, big or small, doesn't matter. Love to uh, Love to see those kind of keeps us inspired to keep building as fast as we can. And uh, we appreciate all of our customers. Absolutely. And let's go to a conversation with Kevin because that's why everybody came to listen. They didn't come to listen to us chit chat. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about fishing with Kevin Goldberg. All right. Our guest today is Kevin Goldberg. If you want to know a little bit, if you like what you hear this week and you want to know a little bit more about Kevin, check out episode 27. That was the first time we had him on. And then you can also check out episode 77, and that was our most recent time, last September. Kevin, it's um, it's been a long, strange year since the last time we talked to you. I actually got to see you in person, ironically, oddly. I was in in, uh, Pennsylvania briefly in April. I think it was April, and I got to see you. So that was pretty cool. It was an unexpected uh, visit. So how are things going? First off, I want to thank you for coming on again. We always appreciate your time. And uh, second of all, how are things going with your season so far? Yeah, no, you guys are welcome. I'm, I'm glad to be back on. It's good to be back again. Um, I appreciate you guys asking me. And uh, as far as the season, yeah, it's been an interesting year. It's been a super busy year work-wise with the construction we do. Windows and siding was a crazy busy year. So took a little bit of a dip compared to the previous year with the COVID. I was fishing a lot more, but... Uh, all in all, it's, it has been a, a decent year. It's been a pretty good year for size. Our spring was a little bit tougher. Didn't have quite the numbers, but did have some decent fish. Um, it seemed like more for me, I'd say, in a whole, if I had to say one thing different from my normal, I did more casting this year than I have in the past. You know, Even in the spring, I did quite a bit, and then even this summer, I've been doing a lot of a lot of casting around home. So that's the biggest change I noticed, but all in all, I'd say it's been a decent year. So we get, he's, he's been doing a lot of casting this year. Of course, we're going to reverse course on him and make him talk about trolling. We kind of have you pigeonholed a little bit into the trolling, mostly just because of your openness and freeness to talk about different trolling applications. And you literally fish from, you know, the East coast pretty much to the Midwest. So you've kind of done, a little bit of everything and obviously you've done a bunch in Canada too and so mm-hmm. you know we, we kind of have you in a, in a little bit of a box someday we'll have to actually you know talk about how you break down a little bit of casting because you always bring a ton of knowledge to our podcast and you know like like I said for that we appreciate it and for today's episode we're going to put you back right in that box and we're going to talk about trolling again and this time we're going to talk more about this time of year something that guys can apply you know I'd say right now in August into September I would say generally the Midwest guys are doing a lot of casting in September, but for guys that want to troll, I would assume with uh, what you know the knowledge you're going to bring to the table, there's probably a trolling bite that they can get involved in 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 August and September, wouldn't you say, Kevin? For sure, yeah, definitely. You know, I I was going to say like even even that July, like once it gets hot, like the summer peak, like almost when it's uh, when it gets a little bit you know, it burns you up to actually cast in it sometimes because it gets so hot. I mean, yeah, I know I troll with the bimini top to keep myself out of the sun, but 
I mean, that's where a lot of it stems from. It's a nice break from the heat, but I mean, it's also some of the best, it can be some of the best trolling of the year. Um, I probably like that second to the late fall, you know? And, and I mean, they do a few different things. Like I'd say July into that, into August, say like mid August, like up till right, you know, right around now, a lot of the trolling for me, it's on the lakes around me and anywhere in the Midwest that you've got basically any kind of, you got to have a lake with some depth, uh, where, where a thermocline actually would be present and you actually can see the lake stratify. Uh, that's what I was going to talk about first and then get into a couple other styles of trolling as well, which kind of will taper, taper out that mid August into September. You guys are good with that. That's what I was thinking. Absolutely, Kevin. I think, I think you bring a ton to the table when it comes to to the trolling side of things. Um, I'm thinking back to last year as well. You weren't able to go to Canada. You were just north of me. We hung out for an afternoon and that was around this time frame as well. So I think we should talk about that some as well. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Definitely. All right. Well, with that, I'll, I'll start out talking about this, uh, you know, stratification and the thermocline. Uh, because like I said, it's, it's so present for a lot of the trolling that I do. And I mean, a lot of people talk about thermocline, you read about it, you know, I'm sure you've seen it in magazines and everything else, but like I go out and I'll do first a quick, you know, just a visual inspection, wanting to see that it's present because a lot of times the current weather conditions and rain and things like that screw up, screw with it. You know, they move it around and sometimes you'll see they let water out and things change. So I mean, the first thing I'll do, I'll get out and just turn up the sensitivity on my graph to see that it's present. I mean, that's just a general. But once I do, like, I keep that, uh, what I have, like, because you need a way to actually identify it so you can actually tell in more detail, you know, so you need some sort of temperature gradient. I use the Klein Finder uh, from AquaCal. Now, I've had that for years. Uh, I assume they're still available. Um, but once I see it's present, that's what I do. I have that Klein finder in a little box and, uh, it basically does from the surface down to 50 feet of water, you know? So I drop that down. I just go out in the middle of the basin where I'm trolling, drop it down to the bottom and then you crank it back in and it get you just have, I just write it out, but it gives you temp temperature increments every two foot. Okay. Uh, so what I do, I do that and I'll find that with the readings, you'll see, you know, the water actually, it'll ha- help you actually pinpoint the upper and the lower limit of that thermocline. So that's what I do when you're letting it down, you know, you'll get all the temps, you write them down. And what you'll see is you'll see the surface when it first goes under, it'll change a few degrees and then it's kind of steady. You'll notice like a steady down for a ways, like in our lakes, all of a sudden you get down around 10, 12 feet a lot of times. And then all of a sudden you'll start seeing a rapid change. Well, once you note that rapid change, say it's at 12 feet, well, that's the top of the thermocline, you know, and then I'll check those depths on down and you'll see that weird change. It usually fluctuates when I do it. Every time I write them down, I notice the temp fluctuates kind of like between that's around six or eight degrees. But then all of a sudden you'll see it'll go constant again. And once it does that constant temp, you once that starts, that's basically the bottom of it. Uh, and then it usually carries that all the way to the bottom of the lake. So 
that's just a good way to truly get, because that's a lot more detailed than just seeing the, inter- you know, you could see the little interference and you know there's a line there, right? And, uh, and with that, once you have that top and bottom figured out, I've played with it a few different ways. I've tried running it, you know, in the middle, in the bottom, at the top, and, and, and different times you'll find, you know, it's always good to play with one, you know, like where I'm at, I can run two lines a piece. Um, so if I got me and my wife or a buddy out, you know, we'll run four lines, but I would say more often than not, I usually run, like if I'm running four lines, I'll put two in the top of the thermocline, one in the middle and one above a couple feet above or so. Right. That's my general setup. Uh, and with that, I mean, I just vary the baits around. I'll use a couple, you know, five, six inch baits. I'll throw an eight and 10 inch bait out there. And sometimes I put a 12, 13 inch out, you know, I just make a nice little spread out of the baits I'm using and just kind of start with that. But it makes it a lot easier to pinpoint them when you have that, when you truly identify the thermocline and actually really draw it out and then put your baits right in that zone. Every once in a while, I'll put one right at the bottom of it and it does score sometimes. And a lot of times it might be a nice one, but the the top of it and in the middle seems generally the best you know and from from logging i was checking my log today because i knew we were going to do this looking at my log i noticed they say i mean i've read before they say like 62 to 72 degrees is like their preferred comfort zone like when talking about this style of trolling just in general you want to that's the range but i personally noticed that there is a peak activity level for me when the temp reading is in that 66 to 69 degree zone. So with a four rod spread, uh, you can bet I'm putting at least two right in that temp zone. Uh, if you're only two lines, I'd have <laughs> probably one at 66 and one at 69. So that's just, I mean, I, I was pretty in detail with uh, my logging back then. I no longer log now, but I definitely used to. Um, so, and like I say, once you get that, once you have that much of it down, uh, then you're pretty much just playing with different lures and speeds and, uh, you know, the colors that's, you know, consistent for your area. But I noticed with that, that, uh, thermocline trolling the daytime for us, uh, a lot of it's, you know, three, eight ish. I'm not flying, you know, it's usually hotter. I'm, three eight sometimes if the boat traffic's bad and you're getting blown around i will push it faster i mean i have caught some that time of year going mid fours and up but a lot of it to be honest is three eight you know maybe four at, at the max and then once it gets in the evening a lot of that thermocline trolling definitely excels night fishing uh, i do a lot a lot of night fishing as well but then i i cut the speed a good mile an hour at least i'm usually mid twos or you know, to about three miles an hour at night. But that's pretty much the thermocline troll in a nutshell. You just got to have the, the warmer water, you know, enough to form it. And then on a lake that stratifies, it has the depth. And then I'm sure if you, if you guys try that and set up a spread in that zone, I'm, you'll definitely catch fish. I mean, it's been successful for me anywhere I fish, you know, that, that the thermocline actually sets up. How are those fish reacting to coming out of those depths, Kevin? Like, say, you you know, you got some, say it's 77 degrees on the lake. So, I mean, we all feel it's comfortable and safe to fish. Um, But if you're pulling, say, a bait at 20 feet down, 
how are those fish releasing? Okay, that's a that's a good question. I because uh, I see a lot of stuff. I know there's a lot of debate that goes on and controversy over the water temp. And uh, from me, fortunately, fishing a lot of different places, I will say, uh, you know, you got to use a little common sense with that because some of it, you know, if you're on a lake that I would say typically doesn't get so hot, if it's not a, if you're in a colder northern region. You're on a natural lake. Uh, you're dealing with uh, natural fish, maybe not stocked fisheries, stuff like that. Any of the Great Lakes strains, anything like that, where fish grow old and maybe it's not typically as hot of water in general, but you just happen to get a hot summer spike and the temps get really hot. Now, I've seen those fish. I've seen it on Claire. I've seen it on uh, Chautauqua, like where I live. I go up there, but it's a natural lake. And those fish, when it gets hot like that, Oh, I've seen them, you know, you either, I'll, I'll water release them and won't even net them. Or if you do, you know, it, you almost, if it gets too hot, you, you almost best off just to, to say, you know, I'm going to take a break till things cool down. But in that same sense, I've also, where I live, uh, there are flood, you know, flood controlled reservoirs that are always hot every year they get in the eighties. Uh, and I think the fish have just adapted to it different. Because I noticed myself, uh, one place I go is the Nine Nine Lake, and it's a uh, it's a little. I mean, it's like a, in a valley. There's no wind or nothing, and it's, I've been there for weeks, stretches at a time, and the water's over eighty. And those fish release, you could barely even hold on to them. Uh, I never see any floating dead, and uh, I have no issue at all there. So you just gotta, since you know the listeners can be, you know, I know they're it's the Midwest, but you know from who could be listening here just think about that a little bit more i don't i know a muskie is a muskie that's true but i i've definitely from fishing different places seen the changes you know you could tell how much a st Clair fish uh feeds off of sight if you ever fish the detroit river because like if it gets muddy i've been on trips and it gets muddy and all of a sudden you can't catch fish or you might get one or two like i've seen it get really tough um, that just shows how those fish have adapted. But yet my Ohio waters, there's, it looks like chocolate milk sometimes, but you catch fish all the time, but they're used to it. They've adapted. So think about that a little bit. Uh, if you're on a place where it's natural and they're slow growing and it doesn't typically get hot, if it gets in that 80 zone, you may want to just push back and wait. But I've had plenty of success when the water's in the 70s. All you need is a thermocline and it might just not push down as far you might find that band a little higher in the column is all, but it's something to play with and use a little common sense with the heat part and consider it for the fishery that you're on. So let me ask you about this, Kevin. You know, I have a body of water over here that does not develop thermocline. And honestly, my excesses are getting so bad over here. I haven't been out there for about three weeks. I would be curious just because the water flow is down. I mean, we're not having the, the normal water flow, that current that runs through this lake to actually have it not create a thermocline. And I'm kind of interested. I got a smaller boat that I could potentially take out there. I'd like to get out there and see if the thermocline developed this year, just based on less water movement. Do you ever fish anybody's water over in your neck of the woods where, where you have a lake that doesn't develop a thermocline? Uh, yes, actually, uh, there's a couple that I fish that don't, and when you do, it it kind of makes it where uh, the fish can be more places, not so much uh, depth zone specific, 
but it, it can offer some really fun trolling and it's a style of trolling that I really like. It's truthfully where I first cut my teeth in trolling, which is more of that. Uh, if you're, you know, if you got water that's, let's say I'm assuming your water up there right now is probably in the, I'm just guessing, but low to mid seventies. We're sitting around 77. We've bumped to 80 a couple days. Um, okay. but right now currently it's 77, 78. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for stuff like that on a lake with no thermocline, like I would try, there's, there's two different trolls that I do and have had a lot of success with one of them which I love would be actually spinnerbait trolling. And I like to do it. Like if you find, you know, you got good isolated weed spots, cabbage stuff that you could troll through with, uh, you know, safety pin style spinners, uh, especially with like, I like using obviously the single hooks with a trailer, but I mean, in the summer, you know, they're in there. You got, you know, you guys get them casting and stuff, but you can set up a really nice troll. You just got to, Think about the spot and find a spot that's got a nice weed stretch to troll over. You know, I like if you could find a, a basin that has a lot of, I'm going to say mm, 11 to 16 feet of water and maybe the weeds top out in that top few feet and you're just trolling, you know, let's say four or five down right over them. Uh, yeah, you can, you can add some jointed shallower crankbait, square lip crankbaits in that mix. But anymore, I'd rather just run the spinner baits. It's a fun troll. Um, I like to, you know, I'll vary up the depths or the length of line. Sorry, I'll put them out, you know, anywhere between, I'm going to say 40 to 70, 80 typically is my general. And uh, I do back off the drags a little bit with those big single hooks. Um, when you spinner bait troll, you do want the drags a little softer. I noticed when I was running tighter drags. I don't know if they were just ripping through or what, but that you are kind of, you're speed trolling enough. I mean, you'll know it by the fact of if you're fouling up too much, you're not going fast enough, you know, and if you're going too fast, you know, the blades will break the water. So you'll find that sweet spot. Uh, I feel like a lot of times for me, it is in the fours for that. Just with the style of spinner baits I'm using, you know, that generally have more weight to them to handle the speed. But, uh, Man, that is a really fun troll. And on lakes with no thermocline setup, I mean, that's hard to beat because I know guys cast that. But some of those lakes, I mean, think about it. If you always see guys casting, sometimes that trolled spinnerbait through, I don't know if they see that all that often. I mean, some of the lakes I've tried on, it surely didn't seem like it, you know. I mean, you get you get bonus pike and whatever, but I've caught some really big muskie spinnerbait trolling. It's just a lot of fun and it's a nice, the action and if nothing else that style trolling is easy enough you can mix it right in with your casting you know there's been times i just lazily casted it out what i was just you know casting <laughs> switch it up and i'm using that rod and just throw it in the rod holder and you know throw two out in the down east and try it you know but that is definitely a good method for a non-thermocline setup especially weedy lake natural lake especially um so that's definitely one and then another one that I have that's it's similar, but I've seen it where the cold fronts hit, like on, say, that same system we just talked about. I've been on a trip where you're getting them doing that spinnerbait trolling and things are right. They're up in there. They're aggressive. And then I've seen it where the next day you wake up, the front hits, you know, you go back in to grab a heavier coat 
and you're thinking, oh man, now what? You know, we just dialed in there. And if I've had a little bit of success, tried cutting back the speed and trying to find that spot where I could still keep it over the weeds, but a little tighter to the structure, you know, and still been able to pull some that way. But I'd say more often than not, I've seen it where they just step off of that next break, like into that little bowl just outside the weed edge. And then I've had luck trolling more of a like jointed, jointed cranks, like jointed square lift cranks. I'm still not getting deep, but something I could pull off the edge, you know, eight to 10 inch range, like a Wiley style bait. Um, I've seen that happen. I mean, I've been in some terrible fronts and uh, caught them on seven to nine inch crankbaits just right outside icons that I had from spinnerbait trolling, you know, just in that next bowl. It's like they go out there and almost are laying just a little bit down in the column, you know? So that's the other two methods that I would try in a non-thermocline setup summertime lake leading into the early fall. Well, it's super cool information, but I, why don't you kind of draw a little bit of a picture on what spinnerbaits you're talking about, Kevin? Um, well, for, for trolling wise, you know, I, there's a couple that I've used, um, that I'm the most confident in. It's a lot of it comes to the weight and how, how weed free they stay. Um, I would say the two that I've used most, uh, would be Lebowski has a big, he makes one called a big heavy and it's a, uh, it's like a tide. I mean, he makes a, a big heavy also that's the the tinsel and i think the one that's tied he calls a big blue and uh, i really like that i mean it's a big bodied spinnerbait but for trolling i mean you can actually they stay super weed free and uh i've had a lot of luck with those um the only other one that i have i got them years ago and uh, i've had some luck trolling those too i don't have as many but uh there was a uh, beaver lures um, from Canada. He makes also, uh, well, Lebowski's are from Canada as well, but uh, the beaver lures, he used to come to our PA shows and then I'm friends with him now. I still see him. He's good friends with my buddy, Mike Ross. And uh, he makes casting ones too, but he has trolling ones. I mean, the key thing is they got weights, you know, two ounce, three ounce, you know, you'll see him at the show, have them all lined up with the weights on them. But that makes a big difference in, being able to keep it down, cover a lot of water, um, and also get in the column that you want to be, you know, over those weeds that are topping out at, let's say, five, six feet, you know, in, in mid-teens to kind of 18 kind of feet of water, you know. I, I guess there is one more, too, I've, I just thought of. Um, and there's one other one that I have a few of, and they're, it's called a Rob Day spinnerbait. I have some of those. They're not quite as weedless. I think a lot of it's the head design. They have. I think he does make a different one, but my particular ones are more of an open water troller. I mean, I've used them in the weeds, but I would say the uh, the Lebowski one is probably the most weedless. You know, so it's really nice for that. I mean, sometimes I'm amazed that I don't have weeds. I mean, even when let's say even if you're on a system that has really bad that like eel grass, you know, that like blade grass. Um, there's times I'm trolling and I got the rod buried to try to, you know, keep it off. And I pick it up and you're shaking off what seems like bushel barrels of that, of that eel grass. And sure enough, I feel the vibration. I'm like, that darn Lebowski is still running clean. You know, it's kind of crazy, but it's a fun thing if you get into it. And it's definitely a neat style to try. And 
if you're not doing it, it's some of the most exciting strikes and fights, you know, like you cook a big one on that. And man, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know if it's just because it's just a light single hook or two in their mouth, but they really seem to give you a really good fight as opposed to hitting a crank with, let's say, three trebles, you know, that really kind of zaps them quick. So I noticed it's a little bit more of a fun fight as well. But those are the main ones that I've had for trolling. I know that if Southern Wisconsin guys, if they're interested in doing that too, Jeff Hansen does that too down in the Madison chain. I know a couple guys that do it over in Southern Wisconsin. I would imagine it work everywhere. And the one that they use because they're not, you know they're more readily available is those Ace Tandems. Have you ever used those, Kevin? Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, I do use those as well. I have uh, oh, I got a couple different ones here. I know he has like a two ounce and a one. There's like the big Ace. Um, the only thing, and they are they're the same thing. Really good for weedless. Now this is funny, but for me, uh, I actually had some luck with those Aces this year. Actually trolling them, but. Uh, I don't know why. It must just be the silicone thing, I guess. Maybe that's what it is, but it's probably just a uh, more of a confidence thing for me. But it seems like if I'm on dirtier water or anything like that, uh, a little bit of stain to it, I, then I'd probably use those more. Um, but like if I'm in that real clear, like weedy, nice cabbage, like those big loos and stuff, I mean, there's a real natural tide, you know? Sure, and more, I more like a bucktail head out of them? Yes, okay. yes. Yep. Looks kind of like, say, like uh, like a ghost tail type of tie, but on a big spinnerbait with like three bodies. So, you know, it wouldn't be the, maybe would not be the bait maybe for everywhere, but I would say like up that way. Uh, well, I, I know myself, I've done good in Minnesota on them for sure. Um, I'm sure they'd be good in Wisconsin, but like I say, I have used those big ace and the ace baits too, and the ace baits are neat because unlike some of the others, they have a pulsation to them. They pulse, you know, you could watch the rod, like you could see the rod pulsing. And that, that's one. And I remember Billy Beekner showing me that. And I was really impressed with that pulsing. And of course I came, I caught one with him on it actually when I was up there. And then uh, when I came home, I did order them and as good as they are casting. That is definitely a cool trolling bait. So I did forget about those, you know? Sure. So. So when let's talk a little bit more about spinnerbait trolling because it's definitely not something that we've talked about much on this podcast is like what's the setup are you using I mean you literally just let line out on your spinnerbait putting the rod holder and you're done or are you adding a keel weight are you adding anything different to it to get it to achieve different depths or are you pretty much trying to keep it in the upper you know foot and a half of the water column two feet of the water column or so that's a good uh, that's a good question because kind of it relates to what we were just talking about with those few baits. I typically like my general setup on when I'm using spinner baits, I like using like a glass rod. Um, I usually use like, I have the, uh, I have a custom X is the one I use. It's like an eight and a half footer with a decent size Catalina on it. And I, I usually like heavier braid on those cause you don't want something that's cutting through the water so quick. You're trying to stay above the weed. So, I'll usually run on like my hundred pound braid setup, And then I'm just, if I'm trying to run in that top column, that's probably more so where I would use maybe like the ACE or something. Cause they are a little lighter. They do stay higher. Like they're awesome when the weeds are close to the surface. Like I had some luck with them this year, trolling those aces. I forgot about that this spring trolling just over the weeds. And they were, I mean, the weeds were like just close to the surface. I was amazed they could come through it like they did. 
but they were good for that. Now, we're opposed to like say the big lose or like from Lebowski or or maybe the all um, oh, the Rob Days or even the uh, the Beaver Lures. Those ones you can get them down, you know. So if you're if you're in a situation where maybe you're in sixteen eighteen foot of water and you got beautiful weeds down there, but they're coming up to about six seven feet. Well, it's just going to be easier to get that down. Let's say you want the spinnerbait down four or five feet. It's going to be easier to get that bait down there um, and yet still be able to troll at a decent enough clip that you can cover a lot of ground, you know, because one thing about spinner trolling, spinnerbait trolling, you want to cover a lot of water, you know, like it's a nice way to pick apart the weeds, you know, sometimes it's your fourth pass through. And even though you're just inside your last contour line, next thing you know, there it goes, you know, so you're covering a lot of water. So I like to be able to move at a fairly decent clip, but that's the way I'd break that part up. You know, like with the aces, sometimes I just cast them out a little bit, you know, 10, 20 feet. I'm going with the rod up in the air. I'm tilting the rod up a bit too, just to stay over those high emergent weeds. But where with like the big blue or the beaver, uh, I'll run my rod just straight parallel with the gunnel, you know, and throw it about 50, 60 feet. And if I'm hitting, I mean, that's the one nice thing. The weeds are a good gauge. If you're hitting and ticking every so often, but coming through clean, you know, you know, you're right in that zone. If you're, if you want to get down a little more, maybe the weeds are a little bit denser down eight feet. Oh, you know, let out another 10 or 15 feet till you start ticking. Cause you want to be ticking some, but just coming through clean enough that you can spend your time looking at the GPS and getting a good rundown and really trying to, you know, trigger the fish versus always running back there clean your spinnerbait, you know? So that's, that's basically, I mean, how I spinnerbait troll though. I'm just curious, Kevin, you know, are you doing a bunch of turning? Are you trying to vary your speeds? You'd go on constant. What, what's your gig with that? I, I'm going to assume um, that you're winding in and out so that some baits are slowing down, some are speeding up. I am. Like, if I'm running a, a weed line, I'll kind of, you know, it's especially nice for guys that are listening that, you know, have, that know these spots and know the ins and outs and their little inside turns and stuff. And if you know that, that helps even more. But, yeah, just like you said, I'll be running at good speed and then I'll cut in and I might cut in harder on one little corner or a spot that I might think looks a little bit better. And then I'll take her out right over open water, like kind of lead them out to open water and then make another turn back in. So I'm zigging and zagging over them, cutting into a little denser weeds, then dragging the boat back out to off the edge to where it drops and then back in again. That's like my general S move. And then if I have a nice run where it's perfect height, then I might run a few laps straight. But a lot of it, you're right, I am definitely going in and out, covering all zones from the mid-dense weeds to the thick right to the edge, right where it drops off, you know, before I make my next turn. And then you got to watch that, too, because sometimes when you're doing that, you either find it's a there's a two-part thing I've seen. I've seen it where when you go in tight, first you're thinking, oh, maybe it's that thicker weed. But a lot of times it's just, if you notice it, as soon as you start cutting, you know, that fish was there. It just went for that trigger of the turn, the speed change. So you got to watch, you know, if it's that inside rod uh, that, that went in, you slowed down. If it's the outside rod that went, you know, you got to kick it up a notch. So sometimes just from watching on the turns, which particular rod went, I'll adjust my speed from there. And I have done that and seen it pay off for sure, you know. I've seen it where they were hitting, they kept hitting the outside. Whether I cut in 
or even when I was spinning out over open water and turned back, they still hit the outside. But quickly I realized I got to kick it up a little more, you know, they were just aggressive. It's definitely all those small points that make big differences, Kevin. So I think that that's a valid point to discuss as well. That, that's cool stuff. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I just, I don't know. There's so many different things about trolling that it's, I mean, to me, it is interesting. I get to go a lot of places and I do it at a lot of different places, but you know, for the people that do think you just throw out a bait and just drive around and rake the lake, I mean, it might look that way, but it's so much more involved than that if you actually want it to be, you know. And, and like I say, for guys that aren't real into it, the last two methods we talked about are nice enough that you could add that right into your day of casting. I've done that plenty, you know, plenty. It's Sometimes you might, you might I've, there's been times I've casted a weed bed casted rock piles and casted some weed rock combos and might have seen a few fish but it's almost like you run out of the room for the boat you know like you, you wish you had 20 more feet maybe that fish would have hit they're kind of coming in they're lagging behind you go to make your next cast and you see them come up and turning well sometimes when it's like that i've seen where the spinnerbait trolling come through but it's probably because if you could effectively keep a bait clean Imagine being able to make a cast over the weeds for that long. I think some of them could be following them for a while and they just go for the speed or whatever. Something triggers them. But sometimes when you see that kind of day casting, it would be a perfect time to try that for the spinnerbait trolling or, or, or vice versa, just off the edge of the weeds and try the, the seven to nine inch cranks kind of trolling off the edge where they sometimes lay off that little dip, that first dip off of the weed edge. So, Kevin, can you give us a, a little relationship to uh, using your electronics and how you're actually using your electronics with this trolling game? For sure, yeah. I, um, I'll i talk about it for in reference to the both two styles. I'm going to break it down to two styles, but the last two styles we talked about, because I'm glad you brought that up. There was a really interesting thing I noticed on one of my last trips. Um, so I'll start with that first. Um, my last trip that I was on was exactly what we were talking about uh, in the first segment of this when we talked about the thermocline style trolling, open water stratification, breaking that apart. Well, with that, the electronics, something that I had happen this year, which is really interesting, and I mean, I'm sure other units are doing it too. In this particular boat of mine, I happen to have uh, just, uh, I have Lorances, and it's the HDS. Uh, it's an HDS Gen 3, I think 9 is what's in that boat. But uh, one of the things I noticed, I mean, this particular trip was some day fishing, but also night. I would fish night into like, you know, into daybreak a few of the nights. But one of the things about the electronics I noticed was really neat. Uh, that particular boat um, with the Lowrance, I have the Total Scan Transducer. And what I've been using when doing that style of trolling i'm using like the medium chirp setting and uh and also i have that on the total scan one of the options it has was uh it's called fish reveal right so what i've been doing on my hds9 i use the split i split it 50 50 then run half the screen medium chirp and it shows marks really nice. I mark everything. But the really neat thing that I noticed this year, and it was amazing how many times this worked. On the split screen side with the fish reveal, 
with that fish reveal option on, and I talked to a Lawrence rep about this because when I was seeing it, I called and what he told me was we started joking on the boat saying, look for the blue brain, look for the blue brain. I was calling the swim bladder, the blue brain just as a joke. But what would happen is you mark all these hooks. Sometimes you'll see 10 hooks in a row, right? Like in clumps. But then all of a sudden you'd see a hook and you'd see this. It looks like honestly a blue brain right in the midsection of the fish. Well, what it was that fish reveal. When I talked to the, I had to get a, to a high up uh, rep. I talked to the Lorance. What he's telling me is the bigger game fish, like especially the big, like I said, like I told him I'm freshwater. He said, yeah, musky, pike, you know, your walleye, things like that. Won't see it on catfish and carp and things of that nature. But he said on the bigger game fish, it marks their swim bladder. Well, with that fish reveal, man, was that something neat, especially when I was doing my night fishing and open water fishing on that trip. I would tell the guys, I would mark all those fish and it got to the point, I'd be like, oh, there's a blue brain. I'm like, look, there's a swim bladder. There's another one. There's an, I'd say, get ready. Watch those rods. Out. And next thing you know, it was going. So what ended up happening where the electronics paid in this situation was I got to the point, I was just watching that fish reveal side. That's all I wanted. And the more of those I found, it made a huge difference in our overall catch for the trip, for sure. So I was sorting that out and actually looking for the ones I could clearly mark that big swim bladder. So that was really neat. I mean, because on the other side, I, I have two graphs in that unit, but the other unit uh, is just an HDS7, and it's just my GPS. And, of course, obviously that's key, just to stay on your runs and stay on your marks, especially night trolling. But, uh, man, that fish reveal was really neat. So that was something. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that or have you had that or used that at all? I have not actually, Kevin. Kind of interesting. You're making me think a little bit here. So I'm definitely going to have to do some looking. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Like to the, to the point that I could almost call it sometimes. Like when I'd see an isolated clump and one, all of a sudden I'd see one big mark 14 down and I had my bait running right at 12 and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> see the blue brain. And next thing you know, that rod would go off, you know? And, uh, it was really neat. So like I got to the point, I knew they were musky and uh, man, does that help? I mean, you could just drive around and look for those. And, it, and I started laying some trails where I fought, found the most of them. But it definitely helped me pile up quite a bit more fish for our trip. You know, I think we ended up getting 37 muskies, uh, in those six days. Um, and we, I think we went 37 for 50 and got some nice fish but the electronics definitely helped out for that trip of ours. There's no question electronics can make a big difference in your fishing. And the more you can learn and the more you know about your electronics, the more you're going to uh, accomplish on the water. That's for sure. Are that's you incorporating, sure. Your, are you incorporating your side imaging as well as um, your GPS in the equation as well? You know, it's for me, when I'm doing the open water stuff and the deeper kind of bite, not as much. Uh, I've, I've got to the point I'm using that down, down imaging with the fish reveal um, over the side. But as soon as I get in water, that's, I'm going to say 20 foot and less trolling, I, I switch instantly to side scan. Then I don't seem to care as much about the down imaging and all that. Um, then I switch to the side scan and like, 
you know, that's where I'm like, if I'm doing the other troll we talked about with the weed line and trolling over weeds, like spinnerbait trolling, or even just shallower water in general, then I use the side scan and I've seen that work big time. I mean, cause like in my Skeeter, I have, uh, that's what I got. I run hummingbirds in it. And a lot of it, you know, that's the boat I keep in New York. I, I fish with it around home and I go on trips with it and stuff. I've learned to use that side scan a lot more. And I mean, it's helped a ton. Like there was times when I was doing that. Well, there's two things. I'll start with the, the next one where we're doing the uh, weed line trolling, like off of the edge. Well, when I've been trolling off the edge, let's say it's, let's say it's 20 feet of water, 18 to 20 feet of water. I'm just outside the weed edge on that next break. Well, there's been times I'm trolling that with cranks and all of a sudden I'll see fish on the side imaging and I'll curse her over. I'm like, huh, that's 60 feet out that way. And I'll drop a waypoint on it, you know, and it's on my graph, obviously, and my next pass down, I'll spin and I'll make sure I take my line right through that icon. And then I've seen that help countless times that's paid off with fish. And there's a few times, a lot of us as trollers, you get in the habit where you run your lines, you're used to trolling spots the way you do. Well, I will have to firsthand admit that the side scan has made me troll different because I'm going in a place where I probably wasn't going to go. And if I see one ways off, I'll drop an icon and you can bet I'm going over there. So it's kind of helped me learn a little more about even the lakes that I know because it, it, it's, uh, you know, added depth to my trolling, make me have different runs. And then there's even been times I've been trolling one of the lakes I fish. It's a natural lake, but, uh, in this particular basin, it's, 18 feet of water is about the deepest and, but it's open water. I mean, there's weeds up on the edges all around the perimeter, but I'll go out in the middle and run up and down with planer boards. And one thing I've seen with the side imaging for that is there's times I got, uh, I'll run two rods on the one board on the right and two on the boards on the left. And then next thing you know, as I'm making my pass down, I see nonstop. I keep marking muskies off to that left side. And, if, you know, first the rod goes once, okay, you get a fish over there. And I was thinking about the days, you know, pre-side scan. Well, I would just think no big deal. They like that lure, okay, you know, I'll make my path. I keep the base where I was. But now with the side scan, I started seeing that. I'm like, you know what? Those fish are sitting further off that break, and they, I could still run the boat where I want. But I started putting more lines on that one side of the board. So I ended up taking them off the other side. I kept one there and moved three to the other. And man, what a difference. I mean, I could really play with patterns of colors of lures and I started piling up fish. So like I, de- I would have never, ever done that if it wasn't for the electronics. No way. So it's, it's one thing when you know your areas are good, but it's another when you can change your trolling style because of what the side scan showing you, you know? So that was really cool to see. And I mean, I've done it since then numerous times and it's paid off. So I got a, I got a little different question for you. Do you play with any teaser baits? Maybe it's a a really loud banging bait or got giant rattles in it where you're probably not going to catch on it, but you're going to bring in fish on that side. You know, that's funny. You say that Uh, (laughs) I get teased. My one buddy used to tease me about a long time ago. I read this book. Uh, called Keating on Kings. And he was a big King Salmon guy. And he talked, because I do some King Salmon fishing myself a couple times a year. I take my own boat up. But uh, I was reading about it, and he has this thing called the group dynamic. 
speaking of his trolling spread. And he talks in, in a way of, you know, he pulls out this one certain flasher and fly and his whole spread dies. Or you add one more rod into your riggers and it crowds up things and your spread dies. Well, just like you asked with the muskies with a teaser, there has definitely been, I've been teased about, he's like, what do you think? It's messing with the group dynamic? I said, yeah. There's been times I've trolled a 10-inch believer with the big route, the big, you know, round marbles and it's the one that's super loud and yes sometimes i know obviously that goes too but what i have seen i've seen it where they won't strike that believer at times but especially at night and in the evening like low light stuff i've seen it where it's calling fish into my general spread and even though they don't hit that they might be grabbing lures at like what i'll do i'll keep that believer shorter so if i got four lines out That'll be, let's say if the other lines are 40 to 60 feet up, I'll keep that believer 25 feet of line, okay? And what happens is I'll keep that one in the wash. So they'll come up to that, and I know it calls them in, but maybe on the way they're coming in, they might grab that other little more subtle bait or a minnow bait off to the side or a little six-inch crank off to the side, or it just the fact that it brings them into the spread, maybe when they turn and drag off, then they grab that other little morsel out there that's 60 feet as they're descending. So it's kind of like a salmon-style thing, uh, but I have seen where when you pull the believer out and say, they're not hitting that, you know, I got to put another, you know, I'll put another grandma out or Ernie or something. Like that. Well, then your spread dies. You lost it. Even though that rod was never going, you lost the magic it was doing for your other couple rods. So, yes, I've definitely seen that, where that teaser bait calls them in. You're sacrificing a rod, it feels, because it might not be going often or very little, but it's definitely calling fish into your setup. So, yes, I've definitely seen that. Well, Kevin, since we're talking about baits, you've traveled all over the place, and I have a kind of a theory that matlocks will catch fish on every single spot that fish will swim. Do you find that to be true or false? Uh, no, I do, because I... I definitely would say that's true. Um, it seems like, I mean, they're good for us in Ohio. I caught some really nice fish in New York on them last year. Uh, but even when I've been like to Wisconsin, actually my first fish out of Wisconsin was on a, was on a headlock and it was a 50 inch actually. It was my first fish from there. And, uh, I've caught fish on them in Minnesota, caught fish on them in Canada. So yeah, I have to agree. And different models, like from the eight and a half to the 12 that I've tried, that's what I have. Um, I've caught them on headlocks and matlocks. Um, I really like, I've been loving that uh, 12 inch matlock lately. I've been playing with that a little more, but I love the action on that. But I would definitely say, yes, I agree. I feel like those work everywhere. So then one other question, I know a listener of ours, he sent me a text and he was saying how, you know, on his recent trip, uh, uh, northern Wisconsin he he hadn't had any success on matlocks and he said to me he's like do you think they get conditioned to those baits and I just I don't know that there's enough people using them necessarily to get them conditioned what's your thoughts on that I'd be curious to know well where I live <laughs> there is a lot of trollers and I have to say fish do get conditioned to baits but um I mean, because like where I'm at, you'll see a new bait will come out. Like I remember when the first Cedar Tough Shads came out. I mean, man, you could barely keep them off of those. And I mean, not like they're saying they still don't work now, but I remember seeing the changes. 
But I will say this, and this kind of leans in towards the Matlock thing. One thing I've noticed, as much as I've trolled, uh, it is definitely far easier to get conditioned to a plastic molded bait than a wood bait, mainly because no wood is the same. Okay. Now I've seen molded baits where you'll get one or a ejected foam or a mold. You'll get one that's just a gem. Uh, you don't know why, but I mean, I have certain perch baits that you just they won't lay off those things. But I might have the same color one. It just doesn't have the magic. So I've seen it where you get gems in the plastic stuff too. But I'm just saying as a whole, it's definitely far easier for them to get conditioned to that uh, repeated action and more similar uniform stuff that comes out of the molded lines versus the wood because wood like i say it's a lot easier to get you know that's why guys will buy you might buy six eight and next thing you know you get one that's just a winner um so it's fun for guys that like to buy baits like we do uh, a lot of guys have their certain wood baits that they just love so i would say it's harder to get conditioned to them but i mean that being said uh if if it is, they're seeing a ton of those, like a ton of matlocks and headlocks there. Uh, sometimes if that's the case, you could do just a, a simple little thing that can make a, an adjustment where it might make all the difference you need. And, and sometimes it could be just as simple as whether you just put a curl tail on the back treble or, uh, I mean, I've seen that on our pressured lakes where they, they get used to something where you throw a, a grub on the back hook and, all of a sudden it brings it to life just because it's a little different. Say if 20 guys are trolling and 18 are running matlock, maybe only one or two might be running curl tails on them. So that's just a way to give yourself a little pool ahead to try. It's not going to be enough to impart infect the action enough, but some a way to just make it a little different. You already know they like the size and profile, but just to give yourself a little different you know, spread than what the other guy's doing. Uh, another thing you can do, which a little more involved but you know they have that spacer uh the metal pin you know that you put in uh for the the, the three positions uh, to change the toe eye with the pin well uh, i've played with a little bit um putting spacers under those so you know everyone has like the stock pins that comes with them but as opposed to buying different pins i've messed with putting little spacers underneath so in other words it's the same thing as a trolling bait where you're pulling the toe eye down. Well, essentially, you're pulling that pin down. So now the pull point is not up as high as they come stock. A little change like that can make a big difference sometimes. Nobody's running them that way, you know, or, or very few. Like I say, if you take the crowds, if there's 20, you might be down to one or two if you're lucky, you know. So that that's another way to mess with something that they're conditioned to, that you might have a lot of baits you've bought like that, but you want to just make little changes to make yourself stand out. That's an interesting take. Brad, what's your thoughts on it? I know over there by you guys, those are probably even maybe more popular than they are over here. Have you seen them be any less effective as the time's gone on? You know, I really haven't. It's pretty amazing what they've done, you know. And I, the crazy thing is, is, I mean, take for example, uh, I'm not sure what year the Matlock came out, but the Headlock came out in 2005-ish, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, as long as we've been around with Muskie Mayhem. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm catching dozens and dozens of fish on them every year. So I, I don't know how you can say that, you know, the fish are truly, truly conditioned to them. Um, and I think, you know, so one of the things too, yeah, that's 16 years of a headlock. 
but you got to keep in mind the same fish that ate them 16 years ago probably aren't alive anymore you know so i think a lot of times people forget to to realize that there's new fish in the system and uh not every one of them's even seen one and so i mean you got to look at it that way as well well you know i mean obviously your bait would be one of those too that's been kind of pigeonholed and i was talking to i was talking to keys this week and mike was telling me that they were doing really well on juniors and I said, well, that's kind of odd. I said, because our junior sales aren't as good as the other stuff. And he's like, well, they should be. We're catching lots of fish on junior cowgirls. And I said, well, if you look at it, Mike, a lot of people are, they were just tired of throwing big double blades, whether it be a junior or a double cowgirl. So I'm like, it's kind of new to a lot of those fish. Cause like you were talking about the fish that were eating them 15 years ago, aren't, they're not around anymore to be eating them. So you have a bunch of new fish that haven't seen that bait before. So it's kind of a new bait. If they forget that the systems like recycle fish and now you got new fish in there and some of your baits that were old gems are, are new gems again, you know, pretty much. You just got to remember it. Yeah. Hands down, Kevin, I would agree with that as well. And then the, the second part to it is, is it, it cracks me up because I think you've seen it a couple of years ago over here, Jeff, you guys were throwing a bunch of the new stuff that we're making and, and they're good stuff. I mean, we're catching fish on them. But I still find myself going back to the original cowgirl. And the reason I do is (laughs) I've just caught so many fish on it. And when everybody quit throwing it and they started throwing juniors or they started throwing double showgirls or supermodels, whatever it might be, you know, the cowgirl still was the king when it comes to uh, numbers of 50-inch fish. And it's still productive for me, you know, 16 years later. But uh, I don't know. It's an interesting concept. That's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you see the same thing with that, Brad, right? Like even we were just talking about the cranks, like I'm sure you guys got matlocks and headlocks, some that might just have a little something extra when you watch them in the water. I know some of mine do, um, you know, you get just certain ones that stand out, but I'm sure you've seen that with your blade stuff too. You get one that just has a certain sound or vibration or whatever it is. And, you know, same kind of thing. You could have another one that's the same color, but it, you know, that's what makes it fun about buying. That's how you find gems. You know, I'm sure you see that with your stuff too, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I, I find it really comical at shows. I mean, I'll have a guy come in, Hey, I caught a fish and, and this bait's bent. And I'm like, really? And I go, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, can you rebuild it for me? And I said, how about I keep that bait and I give you a brand new one? Well, what do you mean? Well, this one's proven. It actually works. There's something unique about this. I would. That's right. One. And, um, and, but it's bent. Well, guess what? You just straighten it out and you go again, you know, and the more they're bent, the more noise they get creating and, um, the more success you have on them. That's for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I love that stuff with the baits. Like I say, that's why I'm such a, <laughs> I love buying. I mean, I got a lot of baits, but that's why, you know, and eventually, yeah, you can sell off some stuff, but kind of like we were just talking about leading into this, uh, I brought recently, I've brought out some baits that I kind of forgot about. I used to use them years ago, trolling, kind of forgot about them using all the newest stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to change the hardware on these and get them back in action. And sure enough, it's just like you said, it's like they might've been a great thing in the past, but nobody around here was running them anymore. And man, were they cracking those things, you know? So it's funny how that is something that was good for muskies in general is probably still good, especially if those fish haven't seen them for, I don't know, 15 years, you know? You got to love it. That's for sure. I, I think yeah. it's funny. You said you, you forgot you had it or whatever. I think 
as a general rule, most musky anglers do forget what they have. And um, <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. We're all a bunch of addicts, really, and buying and buying and buying. And there's still a lot of stuff that's probably hanging on a wall or sitting in a box somewhere that, that can still be made of use, you know? That's for sure. Is there anything else that you think we need to add to this one, Kevin? Otherwise, we'll start wrapping it up. Um, the only last thing I wanted, I was going to say that I, I didn't, uh, just, it's, it's just ending, uh, that last topic that we were talking about with the electronics was I did talk about the open water and I talked about the edge, but I didn't talk about in the weeds. Uh, the only thing I wanted to add just cause someone might be wondering, um, with that, you, you'll have to adjust the sensitivity. I like to adjust my sensitivity down to clean up the surface clarity. Um, so I can kind of see a little more what's going on, but then the fish, you know, you still differentiate, like you could see the color into the weeds and you could tell like if, you know, you're still marking stuff there. Cause I'm more concerned with keeping a clean screen when I'm doing the w- actual weed line like, or actual, uh, spinnerbait trolling. So I want to have it where I see very well, more so than like open water arcs and stuff. You know, you'll still see fish in there and that, but I do cut the sensitivity down but where I'm reading the weeds nice, but I don't want to get it where I lose the top few feet because those top few feet, a lot of times in spinner rate trolling are very important. So I just wanted to add that because I didn't finish and talk about that. But other than that, that's really about it. Well, once again, we want to thank you for coming out and taking your time out. I know especially you, like a lot of our guests are, you know, they're guides or bait makers or, you know, industry people. And they're, you know, essentially trying to get their name out there. You honestly just do this because you really just love talking about muskies. There's, you know, no guide service. You're not trying to sell anything or push anything. And honestly, I love having you on because you talk openly and freely because you're not afraid to, I don't know, essentially spill it all out there. And so we just want to thank you for, again, taking time out. Like I said, I encourage our listeners to go back and check out episodes 27 and 77 when we talk to Kevin about I'm assuming more t- more trolling stuff. Kevin, I know we I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but we do sometimes need to do a short line trolling segment with you. And then we should talk about casting because like I said, we kind of painted you in this box and that's kind of unfair to you because, you know, you're you're kind of pigeonholed on our podcast as a troller, but quite honestly, that's, you know, you'll catch them every single way that they swim. <laughs> well, thank you guys. No, I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, anytime I can, I'd, I'd be glad to come back and would love to talk short line trolling someday. And then maybe in the future, like you said, we could do some casting, but yeah, the hours go fast when I talk to you guys. And <laughs> I, I love to talk and I'm definitely an addict and, uh, it's always fun for me. It's an e- it's an easy hour. You know how that goes. I could do more, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. We'd love having yeah. you on. Well, maybe next time, Kevin, we'll have you come on and we'll say, uh, hi, I'm Kevin Goldberg. And I'm an addict. We'll, we'll start the show like that. How's that sound? <laughs> That's a good idea. I like. <laughs> I like that. It's the truth. So what can I say, right? Oh man, Brad. I've seen your garage. I've seen my garage. We're all addicts, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I we mean, are part of this whole gig. It, That's what makes it fun, though. You know, mm-hmm. it does. It, it, that's as much fun as the fishing. In fact, I'd like you two to come down sometime and see my garage. It's it's worth seeing, I you bet. know. Uh huh. Well, there's you, a couple things a lot of different your, places, you know. There's a couple things on your walls, Kevin, that I would probably like to have in my little repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some interesting, pretty rare stuff out there. So maybe that's a future trip someday. 
Absolutely. I would love to do that, Kevin. Okay. Well, thanks again, guys. Like I say, I really appreciate you having me on as always. and It's always good to do this talk and hopefully we'll do one again in the future. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Kevin. We want to thank all of our listeners again for taking time out of their schedule to dial up our podcast. We couldn't do it without you, the listeners, and we want to thank you all for your support of you know both Muskie Mayhem Tackle and Team Rhino Outdoors this season. Again, I know we talk about it every single week, but we truly do appreciate everyone's support that they've given us, both with the you know the podcast and our and our businesses. And so we thank you for all for that. And with that being said, we will catch everybody again with a new podcast next week Wednesday.